from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and joining me this week, a man that uh, really needs no introduction. He's uh, he's been uh, the the most frequent guest on this podcast. A man that uh, I absolutely love, Corbin Ford. And uh, Corbin, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, we we tried to get you on last week with Josh to do a a three teamer, but you had some car difficulties. So uh, you know the the number one priority for me was was getting you back on here, and and we made it happen. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Garrett. We made it happen. Like you said, the original team back together. Yeah, the car wouldn't let it happen. That would have been a glorious show. But you know what? It's all for the future. For now, I'm happy to be back, man, especially talking L.A. teams, one more than the other. But I, I probably buried the lead there. But just to be back on a show with you, man, you know I got love for you, brother. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, as, as Corbin just mentioned, we're going to be talking about the two L.A. teams, the, the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, two teams that both made some some interesting moves at the deadline and also, uh, you know, most recently with the Clippers in the buyout market. Uh, And, uh, you know, of course, Corbin being a big Lakers fan and also a big Russell Westbrook fan. uh, There's I'm sure he's got lots of thoughts on uh, on these two subjects. So without further ado, let's get into the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, this team sitting currently, you know, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, right before the, the night's game where the NBA gets, gets back started after the all-star break, but uh, currently Los Angeles at 27 and 32. They are 13th in the Western conference, 21st in offense, 21st in defense and 24th in net rating at negative 1.7, according to cleaning the glass right now, they are two games back of the play-in and 10th seeded Oklahoma city. So Corbin, before before we even get into some of the acquisitions and, and things that the team has done as of late, right now, you know, they're not in the greatest of positions heading into the home stretch. You know, we've got a little over basically a third of the season to go, but uh, they, they've got to win a, a good chunk of their games to even just get into the playing. Yeah. I mean, listen, you've described, I had to almost, just take my brain somewhere else for my own piece because it's painful. All those numbers are not convenient, right? Um, Lakers have definitely dug themselves in a little bit of a hole that's going to be not impossible to dig themselves out of just because of the parity of the West, at least, you know, before KD came to Phoenix. But um, it's still, you know, a, a hole to dig out of nonetheless. Um, you already kind of said the numbers, so I don't have to do that and go any further into that. But just between injuries to AD, of course, after playing at like an MVP level for about a month and then subsequently being out for almost a month. Um, you look at LeBron who's been playing well, but been hampered by his own ankle injury. You look at the fit of some of the ill-fitting members of this team having to come together. I mean, you saw some big performances from guys like Dennis Schroeder, from guys like um, Thomas Bryant. Um, Thomas Bryant now no longer L.A. Laker. Uh, the continued uh, experiment and evolution of Russell Westbrook uh, adopting a bench role um, for about two months, me being able to say in a straight face that he was a six-man-of-the-year candidate um, before you know uh, the rest of the season continued. So it's definitely been a lot there. And you know, ultimately, you have a team that was light on wings, didn't have a whole lot of shooting, very small throughout, injuries didn't help. And, you know, when you have an, a team of ill-fitting pieces that is slated around, you know, a dominant big man and an all-purpose legend, uh, both of which have been hampered, you have a team that gets where they are right now, which is not totally out of the playoff picture, uh, but definitely the outside looking in as we stand right now. Yeah, and, you know, 
you were talking about the the injuries that they've already suffered this year. And, you know, LeBron was out after breaking the scoring record. He missed a chunk of games there right before the all-star break. And uh, they're, they're going to need to have pristine health, you know, the rest of the season, if they, if they want to, uh, to get into the play in and also the playoffs and it's going to require pretty good play across the board but let's let's get into then some of the the acquisitions they made. Of course, they they made that three team trade that brought in D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and uh, Malik Beasley. They also made a, another move to uh, acquire Mo Bamba, and uh, even prior to all of that, they uh, they used they traded uh, several seconds to get Rui Hachimura from the Wizards. So the the roster is pretty much completely different outside of the the the, uh, the framework of LeBron and AD. Uh, so what has been you know we we only got the really the one game with uh, with everybody out there against the Pelicans right before the uh, the break. But uh, what has been your general vibes of what you've seen with the new look Lakers? I'd say better balance. Overall, uh, this Lakers team is heavily reminiscent of that 2018 Cavs team with LeBron. Uh, granted, you know, LeBron is like five years older, which is a huge difference. Um, even though he's still playing at an all-star level, he is not quite, you know, uh, the same player. At the same time, I mean, remember that team, you know, they made a whole bunch of moves. The roster didn't fit. People had question marks going in. The results worked themselves out, and it seemed to confirm what everyone said. And so Kobe Altman at the time was able to make wholesale changes. Uh, the only thing he didn't do was move that number nine pick, uh, which at the time, of course, was, you know, highly contested about getting in with Jimmy Butler or Paul George. And the reason being, uh, one, no one knew it was going to be the number nine pick. It was the Brooklyn Nets pick at the time. Uh, they became a common sex. And with two, you know, everyone thought, and rightfully so, LeBron James might be on his way out. And so it was trying to play the fence on both sides, having a championship contending team while also being able to cover in the event that LeBron does dip. And so in this case, you know, a little more, um, a little more in the Lakers court because LeBron obviously cannot be traded this season. That wasn't really where he was going anyway. Um, it'd have to be a collaborative thing we haven't seen, and it's looking more unlikely whatever happened. But also, as it stood, the pressure was on the Lakers. You know, the Kyrie Irving trade that it came and went that they were not able to capitalize on, and most of that because Brooklyn, you know, wouldn't trade Kyrie there makes total sense. But the need for a talent upgrade was clear. The experiment with Russell Westbrook run his course, and like this Lakers team was going nowhere fast, and so. Something had to be done. And I think, you know, I've given Rob Palink a lot of flack, and I think rightfully so. The guy has deserved it. But for him to, you know, address all of their major needs in terms of having a point guard who can run the offense in second unit when LeBron's on the court, operate with him when he is, be a good floor space for him to play off those guys. You have another shooter who will actually give the Lakers a quality they haven't had this season, which is gravity. You know, even though he's like a 35 34, 35, 36% three-point shooter. People actually close out on him. That opens up space for LeBron AD. You get that. You get an all-purpose utility big in Vanderbilt who can mix it up, you know, hustle plays, add additional size. You have that. And off the bench, not only do you have additional size, but you have the floor spacing element from Bamba. You want to Bamba. That's all I could think about when I say more Bamba. But anyways, you have that as well. Um, and all of that just helps it become a more cohesive unit, which you were not getting for the first one. 50 odd games so is it too little too late that's kind of a big question but like there's no mistake that this is not a wholesale improvement from what the roster that was tried out just a few short weeks ago yeah and you know i i brought up all of the the offensive and defensive rating all this the statistical profile and you can kind of just throw that out the window at this point it seems Um, (laughs) absolutely and like yeah you you brought up a lot of good points like yeah I feel like size is a big one yeah just you know the in the game against New Orleans where LeBron actually played you know they they started AD LeBron and Vanderbilt all in the front court so you know that mm-hmm. that is a big a big team a big lineup and then even with D'Lo as your point guard who what is six four six five he's got mm-hmm. pretty good size there as well so they are big and and yeah the I think the biggest thing for me is just that this team now feels like they have an offensive identity because there's actually spacing around that LeBron AD pick and roll. And as you said, they have a secondary guy in, in D'Angelo Russell now who can also operate uh, in that, in those pick and roll actions with Davis. Mm-hmm. So the, the offense just seems to make a lot more sense. And then, you know, I, I think, 
you mentioned the multiple things that D'Lo does, not only on the ball, but off the ball. But then I think Vanderbilt also provides multiple things on the defensive end that this team sorely needed. He gives them, Absolutely. you know, we saw it again against the Pelicans where he was the primary assignment on Brandon Ingram. So they can, they can use him when, when they're playing LeBron and AD as more of like a, another wing defender. And then he also has the versatility to potentially be a backup center. If someone like Mo Bamba, who I, I don't think I'm as high on as you are, Corbin, uh, is, is maybe not, uh, not helping them come playoff time. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I, listen, I, I'm high on Mobamba's name. Like that song, I still don't even know the name of it, but I heard it once and I was like, I'm buying that. So I went to Amazon. It's still in my weekly rotation. So every time I hear Mobamba, I'm just like, you want to like, that's just what it is. I'm not high on the player per se. I do like what he brings to the table. Absolutely. But I think we saw in Orlando, like his flashes, you know, the good thing is at seven foot two, you know, coming off the bench, seven foot, seven foot one, one of those two coming off the bench, like, that's all they need. We're not looking for him to be a breakout star. Like, but I agree with you. I mean, this Lakers team was so small, right? Weren't they trying out DeMarcus Cousins and Myers Leonard at one point? You know, like just to get additional size. And this is while Thomas Bryant was playing well and Wendy and Gabriel, but both come or both came at the time with their own weaknesses. So at the end of the day, I just think you have that size and that rebounding help from Bamba, that huge target off a of pick and roll. But you also have someone who can comfortably shoot the ball from range, right? It's not just like a novelty like it was for Bryant or Wenyon. It was something that you can absolutely go to um, and at least know that that's kind of his MO. And defense will respect that and that will open the floor more. So like the idea of Bamba is probably better than the actual player. But the idea and the player are more useful for the Lakers now than whatever they had trotting out in its place before. Yeah. My, my biggest concern. And uh, I think maybe why you were relatively happy with sort of this, the, um, the switch between going from Thomas Bryant to Bamba was the idea that like Thomas Bryant is a terrible defensive player. <laughs> exactly. And, but like, Frankly, I think Bamba, just because of how big he is and because, like, that was his reputation coming in, that he was a defensive, like, monster prospect, uh, like, has sort of given people the impression that he's a super helpful defensive player. But when, I, when you actually watch the guy, uh, I don't feel like he's, he's making that big of an impact. The, you know, so the question is, like, yeah, is it going to be a night where he's hitting his threes and actually being productive for you? Or is it a night where, you know, he goes over four and <laughs> doesn't really give you much. Uh, that's, that's going to be something to look out for. And th- another interesting sort of um, strategic element that I wanted to, to talk to you about when it comes to the, you know, uh, you know, if they were to get into a play in situation or a postseason situation, the idea of, again, if, if you're starting the three, guys in the front court of LeBron, Vanderbilt, and Anthony Davis. I think it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how teams match up with those three guys because um, we saw in the Pelicans game that they just kind of played it traditionally. I think they put Valanchunas on Davis. But we've seen in the past, even like when, you know, Vanderbilt was starting for Minnesota last year, that sometimes teams would put their center on Vanderbilt and their power forward on on Carl Anthony Towns. I feel like you might see that some with this Lakers group as well, uh, where, yeah, the center goes on Vanderbilt and then you put the smaller player on AD. And can we see AD actually punish teams for that like he did in the bubble? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that goes back to AD and his health, right? I mean, that's a whole nother thing. We saw him kind of come back from that foot injury um, and – you know, just be out of it, not be 100% himself. And I think he's finding his form more in New Orleans, um, as he's wont to do. But that's going to be a big thing moving forward for the Lakers. Because you're right, like, having Vanderbilt, having LeBron, and knowing how they can all pick pick apart mismatches um, in LeBron and AD and Vanderbilt taking advantage with his hustle, being in the right place at the right time, additional size. Like, that could, in theory, cause havoc on other defenders. But again, depends on what kind of Anthony Davis you're getting. If he's a player who's tentative and or hobbled, not being aggressive, relying more on his outside shooting than really dominating in the paint, then it really doesn't matter the mismatch because he's not playing 100% of the set himself, right? And 
the difference between him and Vanderbilt, at least in the offensive end, is is is, is very big. Um, Vanderbilt's really more of a hustle guy, more of a finishing guy. He's flashed a little bit of a three-point shot, like 33% on limited volume, but it's really strictly from the corners. Doesn't have a mid-range game like AD. Like, it's night and day, the offense production there. Vanderbilt brings you value in other ways. So a lot of it really just depends on how much Anthony Davis is going to shoulder again. If we're going to see the Anthony Davis that we saw, you know, back in November, right? Like, that's going to be the telling mark between how the Lakers unit is constructed because if he isn't I mean yeah this team will still be okay right like they should be are they going to be enough for a playing spot or a playoff spot maybe not but they'll still be a team nobody wants to play because just because LeBron and some actual size makes this team an actual legit NBA roster and not whatever it was during the dog days of January right with that being said again AD's the kind of the big piece as he always has been for this Lakers quote-unquote dynasty run um it's not been a dynasty run but championship contention run let's just say that from 2020 to now the lakers success only goes as high as lebron i mean ad and to a lesser extent lebron go and so we've seen the best and we've seen the worst and i think i don't want to transition your question because to answer it like you said it's going to be a nightmare if ad plays up to his usual form but again it's has to be ad playing up to his usual form yeah so uh you know I won't ask you to predict if they're going to get into the play-in playoff. Because no, I'm bold. I'm bold. <laughs> I, 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 I might regret it, but I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, go for it. I, uh, I, I know you're a little biased on this on this question, but uh, yes, yes, here. I'm biased. But you also know I, I have no problem saying how I feel. I got the hot takes. We're making it. Not we. See, there you go. Disassociating. They are making it, and I'm not even going to say play-in. They're making the playoffs. Done. Book it. What's today's date? 23rd? There it is. And if they don't, we'll just delete the footage of this. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, Yeah, I'll go back back in two months and uh, and just dub it. Just edit it out. You never ask me this question. No, in all all actuality, I do think that there is a chance for them. Um, Again, you know, some of these teams will have to work out the kinks. The Mavericks' offense has been amazing. The defense has been awful. We'll see how the Nuggets continue to hold up at the top. We'll see how the Suns are as they integrate um kd also let's be honest with the trade deadline passing some teams are now having a let's just say directional realignment right we can look to the utah jazz fallout we'll see how the timberwolves come back reintegrating Anthony towns like there is room and there is some fluctuation in that 10 to 6 range that's still open for the lakers to kind of come in now that does mean they need to win some games both ones that they should win and ones that they maybe shouldn't that does mean they have to gel pretty quickly uh but i do think it's in play lebron is pledged to play every game for the remainder of this time so a barring severe injury we can expect that to be carried out and again this roster balance they have now they look like an actual competent team so they have a tough slate of games ahead i think it starts as we record they play the mavericks the warriors Warriors tonight. They have so many games against the teams that they're, you know, battling it out with. Again, they're exactly they're currently so like basically everyone except for two teams of the West is is trying to get in. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers have the second hardest schedule for the remainder of the way. So it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, there's just no two if ands or buts about that. And it's not stacked on the Lakers side, but I do think that the continuity and the desperation is going to help. It wasn't like this team was a bad team before. They just didn't have the right pieces. And I think they do now. It just matters how fast they gel and if they can do it in time. Yeah. And I, I guess I should say it's probably three teams that they, uh, that are, they're not going to be competing. Cause I'm guessing Utah is going to, uh, to fall down in the standings. I, I don't think their goal is to, to make the play in at this point. No, no, exactly. I'm, I'm so, banking on that. Too. Yeah, exactly. So the Lakers probably have to jump at least uh, two teams then at that point to get to the 10 spot. Um, uh, I feel like they probably, they probably got to go five games over 500 the rest of the way and get to 41 wins to probably have a realistic shot at the 10 would be my guess. Uh Um, But uh, are there any, so I'm, I'm curious to get your take on any particular teams either in the play in or in the first round that you would be, excited to be matched up against as the Lakers or maybe be a little bit uh, uh, worried that uh, this isn't quite the the greatest matchup? I mean, I feel like the way the Lakers are constructed, you know, at least right now, barring health and all of them playing 
not up to standard, but just no, like let's just say they're baseline level production. I feel like if you have a healthy LeBron, a healthy AD, you've been saying this, you know, for three, four years now, that nobody wants to face them, right? I think there's some teams that could be more of a problem for others, like Phoenix. You know, because even with the wing help that, you know, the Lakers do have, it is still Kevin Durant now there. You know, Devin Booker's always been sort of a problem. That being said, the Lakers have always been mostly undersized at the wing spot. And although they've gotten better, they're not fully solved on that, right? But we saw them almost knock down the Suns team with the size and, 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 and sheer strength that they had in 2020 and push them to the brink in 2021. So it's not something that can't happen. I think the Nuggets should be scared. Um, Lakers have had pretty good success with the Nuggets, just in general. I think Nikola Jokic has his way. Right. And um, Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr., rarely do they both do it together. They both can go off for buckets, but defensively, they just have problems across the board um, between LeBron, between AD. You know, now you have actual shooting. You know, you're not relying on Russell Westbrook and crunch time. Uh, all due respect to Russ, of course. Um, you know, what I mean, like, like they're better. Uh, the Grizzlies and Kings, listen, the Kings would be entertaining as all get out. They absolutely would. There'll be no defense on either side, uh, but you can expect the Lakers to double down defense when the need requires because they at least have that gear they can dial into where Sacramento doesn't and they've owned that, you know? So it kind of is what it is. I look at Sacramento. Like I look at me, you know, I'm very optimistic person. I like to lean strong on basketball offense, right? First chocolate milk, always, you know, I got my weaknesses, (laughs) but I'm going to double down on my strengths and that's what the Kings are doing. So at the end of the day, it's going to bite them in the butt because it always does. But for right now, I think that'd be a fun match as well. But I mean, outside of, the Suns and the Clippers, just because historically those teams have given the Lakers problems. The Clippers between Paul George and Kawhi, although, yeah, even with Russell Westbrook, Paul George and Kawhi are still going to be a problem. Um, and then the Suns, just because they've given the Lakers fits over the last two years. But everyone at the top, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings, I, I mean, yes, they're better record-wise, uh, but they each have their own weaknesses. The Nuggets, we just haven't seen them prove it in the postseason on a consistent basis. The Grizzlies, their half-court offense sucks. Their shooting is subpar. And the Kings, there's no defense there. So, like, you know, you kind of pick your battles there. I will be fine with any team over there. With the Clippers, the Suns, the Mavericks, as constructed, the Lakers aren't going to even be in that bracket, so I don't think it's a worry. Um, but that just shows you how much parity there is in the West that – you're looking, and if you're a team at the bottom that has LeBron AD or 10th, like, conceivable, you should not be looking up and go, yeah, we got a shot. Like, we can do this. But theoretically, you can look at the matchups and talk yourself into the Lakers winning or a tough six-game series, like, just because of the way things are shuffled. Now, again, I'm going on a tangent here. The second half, it remains to be seen if the Suns can really start climbing up. You know, they're only, what, four games back? Um or nine games back from the top spot. I think the Nuggets have that sealed so far. We'll see if, you know, the Pelicans continue to falter without and without um, Zion Williamson and with the injuries they've had to sustain. We'll see what happens to the Timberwolves. We'll see what the Warriors, Steph Curry's still out for the, you know, foreseeable future. Andrew Wiggins has been out as well. They've already been horrible away from home. It's a mix. So I hope I answered your question then some, but I, I wouldn't be worried about any team the Lakers conceivably are going to face if they were to make the play yeah, it sounds like not only are you predicting the Lakers are going to make the play-in, but uh, they're going to make the second round as well from that. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, listen, I, I think I think they make the play and they win that. I think that they could push a first-round team to the brink just because, again, the balance they have is great. And you haven't seen when LeBron James and Anthony Davis been healthy, they haven't lost in the postseason. Now, granted, that is that sounds great in saying that. And then you look back and you realize they didn't make the playoffs at all last year, you know, and the year before that, LeBron and AD were injured. But in the year before that, they won the championship. But like those two are still formidable. Like you don't have a healthy LeBron, healthy AD, and it's like they're getting blown out the court. And and when you did, it's because you're trotting out a three guard lineup of Pat Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, and Lonnie Walker and playing a team that has legitimate NBA wings. Like if you actually use roster construction and build an adequate team. Yeah, I'm not saying, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley and Jarrett Vanderbilt and Mo Bamba are like world builders, but they don't have to be. They just have to be their own players and fit off of the greatness of LeBron AD. And I think when you have that, yeah, this team, if they had these guys from the jump, I don't think they'd be in the situation to begin with. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and uh, it sounds like the uh, the uh, the Lakers haven't lost with, uh, with AD and LeBron healthy as the new uh, the Celtics' big three haven't lost with uh, with Kendrick 
as long as Kendrick Perkins is healthy. Uh, oh, stop it. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Way to way to go call back on that one. But like, listen, until it's proven wrong, I believe in saying it. You know, I'm just going to say like Russell Westbrook's teams have a 70 percent win percentage when he has a triple double. That's still pretty good. That's still what happens. You could poke holes in it all you want, but 70% is still 70%. So, you know, but yeah, I, you know, I'm a king of that. Well, 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 well played there, Garrett. Uh, well, yeah, you, uh, you kind of transitioned us bringing up Westbrook. Let's, let's talk about the other team in LA, the, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're currently sitting at 33 and 28, which is good for fourth in the Western conference standings. They're 22nd in offense, 12th in defense and 22nd in point differential at negative 0.8. And uh, they are just the one game back of the, uh, the third seeded Sacramento Kings, but uh, they're also only three, three and a half games above the 12 seed in the West. So um, we, we were just getting into it with the Lakers and how like, you know, uh, if, if they win a few games here or there, go on a little streak, they can, easily rise up the standings you could say the same for for the kings or clippers that they could easily fall down the standings if uh, if they lose a couple in a row but uh they they made a lot of uh, moves at the trade deadline acquiring eric gordon bones highland mason Plumley, and uh they uh recently acquired russell westbrook and we got to just get into the russell westbrook uh of it all here right out of the gate because uh, I know you're going to have some thoughts. I certainly have some thoughts. I'm guessing of course. you probably or will already know my thoughts. <laughs> uh, I, I want to get your take on uh, if you think this, uh, this signing for the Clippers is, is going to help them. If you think Russ can, can, uh, can do enough to not only help this Clippers team in the regular season, the rest of the way, but then also help them, to, uh, you know, accomplish, try to accomplish their goals of, of winning an NBA title? So uh, it's a complicated question, right? I mean, if you had told me this when Russ was coming off of the 2020 season, the Wizards, I'd say absolutely can help this team, right? We've seen two years in the Lakers uniform to see that. Okay, there's some more nuance here. I will say that I think Russell Westbrook can help the Clippers. Um, I think the Clippers definitely play a more methodical pace. Um, they have thrived. In no point guard lineups with Chance Man, you know, assuming the point position, playing through Kawhi and playing through PG. But just to answer the question, I mean, you know, and it's been stated numerous times, at the end of the day, Paul George wanted this, right? Paul George wanted Russell Westbrook. Kawhi wanted to upgrade the point guard position. Marcus Morris and um, Nicholas Batum co-signed on the idea of it. So there was significant support in the locker room to bring Russell Westbrook on the team. I do not, I think the front office was a report that said they had to be persuaded for it to happen. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, let's bring Russ in and make it happen, right? This is something the players wanted. The Clippers kind of throwing a, throwing a little bone there in that way. Like, okay, cool. Like you guys want this guy, bring him in. And I think that they're in a position where this Russell Westbrook acquisition will not submarine them. I've not understood any of the comments of, oh, now they're going to fall out, yada, 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 blah, 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 uh, because they assigned Russell Westbrook. That makes zero sense to me. For one, the Clippers aren't obligated to play Russell Westbrook like the Lakers were. The Lakers had to play Russell Westbrook, not because he was making a, eating it into a third of their cap space just on his contract, but just because the level of player from LeBron and AD to Russ to the next best player was wide. Russ has won games, you know, for the Lakers. He's also lost games, of course. Russ has made, you know, profound impact you know, in quarters for the Lakers, provided it's not the fourth quarter, right? Like he has been a player that you were not getting if you replaced him with, say, Kendrick Nunn or Dennis Schroeder before January. You know what I mean? Like you weren't getting that level of play. With the Clippers, we already pointed out that the Terrence Mann minutes have been great, right? And that playing through Paul George and Kawhi, as Lawrence Frank said before they signed Westbrook, was going to be the way the Clippers played 60% of the time. It's going to go through them. They didn't trade anyone for Russell Westbrook. They acquired Bones Highland. They have Eric Gordon. And all that means to say is that, yes, Russ is probably going to, just because of his name, stature, he's a top 75 player. They did sign him. Just because of that, the players want him. Just because of all that, he's probably going to start and play some significant minutes here and there. But if he's not playing well, he doesn't have to play. And if there's any coach in the league who will show you that, it is Tyrone Lue. He started back in 20, what, I think it was 2017. You had Darren Williams. He was a starter for almost every game for the Dallas Mavericks. Came over to the Cleveland Cavaliers, playing 20 minutes a night in Dallas. Went from that to being almost out of the rotation entirely in Cleveland. We saw it again with John Wall. 
We saw it again. I mean, we saw it again with Rajon Rondo. We saw it again with John Wall. Like, if it's not working, you can trust that Tyrone Lue will have a conversation with you, and then you just won't play. You know what I mean? And if it's not working for the Clippers, like, is it going to mess with the chemistry? Cut them loose. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Russ, I mean, I think Russ is a good team guy. I think that some of the stuff obviously come out. We've seen some of his interviews. We've seen, you know, the, the comments behind the scenes. But players, all to a man, say that Russ is a great teammate, right? If he is that much of a problem in the behind the scenes with this Clippers unit, they could just let him go. But he's not someone the Clippers need to play well. I mean, he's not someone the Clippers need to play. If he's playing well, you keep him playing. If he's playing well to the fourth quarter, keep him in the fourth quarter. But if he's not, you have other options. And I think that that's important. To consider here because I think Russ can be a positive impact player in minutes, in spurts. He just can't be that all the time, right? And you have to have a team that can manage that. And I think if there's any team that's equipped to do so, it's the Clippers. So I I guess I just don't like the discourse of Russ is all on one of two ways. And it always lacks nuance. He's either the best player in the world, yada yada yada. He's fearless, this and that. Look at his comebacks, look at all the triple doubles from 2017. Forget they were in 2023. Like, look at all of this. He's great. Or it's Westbrook's trash, yada, yada, yada. He can't play. He's going to take down a team single-handedly by himself because that's what he does. Like, neither of those are true. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. And I think the nuance is missed here. And I think that the Clippers is going to be the perfect grounds to show some of that nuance in the Russell Westbrook discourse. And it's a make or break for him. If he makes it work, then fine. We see. Okay, in the right situation, which was not the Lakers, by the way, which wasn't the Wizards either. Honestly, it was probably the Rockets have the closest in terms of having the spaced out lineups. And even they went to a super duper extreme by just small balling the whole thing. You know, you could still show with the Clippers that Russ can play in successful units if he thrives in this. If he doesn't, if he's standoffish, if he's coming off like, oh, I should start, if he seems like he's a problem behind the scenes, listen, if you can't make it work for the Clippers, going to be hard-pressed to find a team looking to sign a 34-going, a 35-year-old who still thinks he's a star, you know, who wants to run all these units and play all these minutes and just be Russ, then you're going to have some real heavy shades of 2009 Allen Iverson. And I don't think we want that. Yeah. Um, you make a that great a- point about that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to get to. Get to Sorry, yeah. oh, I had a whole yeah. dumping off there. I was ready. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the You make a good point about the fact that like the Clippers have enough in, you know, they're in a better place than the Lakers were where they could just say, well, we don't, we can just not play you if necessary. Whereas the Lakers, yeah, we're just devoid of, of other playmakers on their roster. Um, so I get that. I, I suppose like you mentioning some of the Ty Lue's past of just like sitting guys like Darren Williams or John Wall, do any of those guys have the pedigree that Russell Westbrook does, though? Well, and you know, that's the thing. I think that you're right. They don't. I mean, all those guys were like top point guards at their position, all of that. But also, I don't think any of their stock is as low as Russ's is right now. You know, it really came down to two teams that were going nowhere, the Chicago Bulls and the Washington Wizards, and one team, a contending team that's personal ties that really wanted to make Russ come. And they had to convince their own front office to have him come. Like, at some point, I get it. Russ is a proud player. It's helped him. It's starting to hurt him now, you know, and being the same way he's always been. But there has to be some level of self-awareness that gets you to like, wow, like, we really don't have a whole lot of shots. I'm sure you could always find himself in like an Orlando or a Detroit or some, well, not Detroit, but I'm just throwing out rebuilding teams that, you know, will take a veteran guard of Russell Westbrook standing. Like he's not going to be out the league entirely next year. I don't think he's quite Carmelo Anthony, but like this is last chance to prove they can still be like Russell Westbrook, you know, on like showcase front and center on ESPN, you know, alongside Kawhi and PG, like he's that level of player, even though he's not like, this is last chance to prove that here. Um, I think that's it. I think Tyrone Lue, like, he don't really care. You know, like, he's done this. You know what I mean? Like, he's, 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 I, I don't think that the idea of Russ coming over here is going to change how Tyrone Lue operates. I don't think that the whole organization is going to be like, wow, you know, it's Russ. We got to watch what we say. Like, you had your own star teammate in the Los Angeles lobbying to basically trade you, like, a week before the deadline, you know? So I, I, I get what you're saying, and I agree. Like, Russ's pedigree, and rightfully so, is a lot higher than those other three guards, even though all three were all-stars and top players in their time. Um, but with that being said, I don't think that their stock is as low as Russ's was. Um, if you look at 
Um, Darren Williams, like, yes, he had aged and slowed down definitely by the time he went to Cleveland, but he was still, you know, a guy giving steady contributions to Dallas and was helping them be a sub playoff team. You look at Rajon Rondo, like, yes, he was not the same level player that he was, but he had just won a championship with the Lakers the year before and was a big reason why they won in the, you know, in the conference finals and the finals. And if you look back at John Wall, like, yes. Again, not the same player, played horrible in Houston, but just three seasons removed from being an impact player in, in Washington and still having the name of John Wall attached to him. So I, I just feel like Russ is coming from being booed on his own home court. You know what I mean? Being just roundly trashed by the media over the last couple of months. Like, there is a totally different level of how high he is in comparison to other players, but also how low he is right now. You didn't see it with those other three. Yeah, and, you know, the whole the whole like I guess argument that a lot of people are making and, and I feel like a lot of the, the the players on the Clippers were making for why we should get Russell Westbrook it's been this running theme with this Clippers team that they need like you know they need a point guard around Kawhi and PG to be successful and I've just ne- I don't know about you Corbin but I've never just I've just never really bought into that that was necessary for this group I mean you brought up that you know the Terrence Mann lineups have been great um, off of cleaning the glass, the, the lineup that features, which this was the starting lineup in their, you know, their, their final game prior to the all-star break, Terrence Mann, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Avicii Zubac, their net rating is plus 13.3 per hundred possessions. So, you know, that is, that is elite stuff. And, you know, you've got, you've got Kawhi, you've got Paul George, you even got Marcus Morris that can create in isolation. Now, do they have to do a little bit more because you don't have another, you know, sort of shot creator there? Maybe a little bit, but them doing more is is typically a good thing in my mind. Uh, And then on the second units, you've got guys like, you know, they've got Eric Gordon now. They've got Norman Powell still. They brought in Mason Plumlee, who can be sort of an offensive hub and replace a lot of what Hartenstein did for them. So they've got other ways to orchestrate their offense that doesn't involve Russell Westbrook. So as you're aware, Corbin, I've always been pretty low on Russell Westbrook, especially, yes, I know. <laughs> especially since, you know, post like 2018 time mm-hmm. period. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the turnovers, there's the, the defensive lapses, right? There's the usage rate with the lack of efficiency, all of those things are just a part of the Russell Westbrook experience and they're not going anywhere. He's, you know, we, we've had enough teams take the gamble trade for Russ, thinking like, Oh, he can do something different than he's done the last 12 years of his career. No, yes. Russ is Russ. He's going to play like he's played his entire career, which means having the ball a ton, you know, struggling to be efficient and taking the ball out of your, your better players hands. And, you know, I, I get that presumably he'll be playing when one of Paul George or Kawhi are off the court. But even mm-hmm. still, um, you know, there there's an argument to be made that you'd rather have the ball in Eric Gordon or Norman Powell's hands a lot of times. Oh, man. OK, see, this is where, again, I think if you have the ball in Eric Gordon or Norman Powell's hands, you're not you're not worse off for it. I still would prefer the ball in Russell's hands for some of it. And I will say it for this reason alone. Like right now in catch and shoot three opportunities, you have a lot of guys on the Clippers who are good at good catch and shoot three point shooters, right? You have three guys, four, let's count Norman Powell's four. I'm Eric Gordon. I think is shaky. We even count Eric Gordon. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say there's three guys who can reliably create offense for themselves. And that is Kawhi, Paul George, and we'll throw in Marcus Morris, right? I think that those star players have the same. I don't want to say the LeBron. It's not a. It's not a tick. But remember, LeBron over the last couple of years has always wanted to play with another point guard, just because we, you know, outside looking at them. Even though again, that, the the evidence suggests, like even the 2020 Lakers championship team, mm-hmm. that Le- LeBron as your, you know, your main initiator, like was is fine. a good thing. Exactly. Like that's, the problem what he, is, that's what he said he wanted, but the evidence mm-hmm. on the court didn't suggest that's what he needed. Again, but for these star players, it's what they want because you're right. Like you said that the very next year they signed Dennis Schroeder and trade Danny Green. You know what I mean? Like LeBron wanted that. 
like you, we can say all the evidence we know. We can pull up all the numbers we have and the eye tests and the stats and clean the glass and XYZ and this executive. But if LeBron James feels he needs a point guard, he's going to want to get a point guard, regardless of the fact that, that hasn't worked. Kawhi Leonard has been asking for these upgrades. Same with Paul George. We know it doesn't work. We know they can just assume some more on-ball utility there, but they don't want to do that. They want a point guard, and that's what the clip, like that's what the front office has been trying to do. So I get what you're saying, and I agree, but it's like at this point, short of telling Kawhi or PG, nah, I don't need it, they're going to get a point guard because otherwise they wouldn't have tried, you know, the Rajon Rondo experiment, the Eric Bledsoe experiment, the John Wall experiment. Like this is in the Clippers front office with Lawrence Frank and Tyrone Lue saying, yeah, let's get these guys, you know, like this is Kawhi and PG saying this is what we want. And at a certain point, you got to see to your star players and that's what they want. Now, again, this goes back to another conversation where we could have in the future about why, you know, players don't make great general managers, but this is what they're looking for. And, and that's the thing. Like, that's another thing. I'm like, people are like, oh, this is horrible. Okay, well, Paul George and Kawhi won this. So if it doesn't work, like, you can go on them. But they're the reason this is happening at the end of the day, right? And to be fair, again, there's a lot of players who would benefit from opportunities to have the defense funnel in and be able to take wide-open threes, like catch-and-shoot threes. The Clippers are 27th out of 30 in there. They are good taking contested mid-range jumpers, and they have two of the best guys to ever do it and a couple of the guys who can cook in that area. But that is not the best shot, right? That's good for the playoffs. Like, definitely help you there. But you have guys like Nicholas Latoum. You have guys like Terrence Mann. Um, you have guys like Norman Powell who would benefit from wide-open threes. And that's something that Russell Westbrook, even in his declining stage, has still been able to generate. He's still able to put pressure on the rim. He's still able to create these opportunities. The problem is the Lakers shooters aren't necessarily shooters. As LeBron James said, they aren't snipers. So they weren't converting those looks that the Clippers shooters most definitely can, right? Also, you look at um, Avicii Zubac. He is going to be given some very good opportunities from Russ. Once they get the timing down, we've seen how Russ works well with Steven Adams. We've seen it with Daniel Gafford. We've seen it with, you know, Wingen Gabriel, Thomas Bryant. Like, if you're a role man, you will be fed with Russ. And if you guys build a chemistry, you will look like a sub-all-star for a couple of minutes this game if the ball's not fumbling off your hands or sailing into the front row. But the point being is, like, it's something that can happen. And, and Russ can generate those opportunities. Now, yes, like you said, with letting Russ be Russ for as many fast-break opportunities as you get, you're going to be giving up fast break opportunities. Russ takes a long distance three with no rhythm, and it leads into you know a runoff from the other team. You're going to get the turnovers. You're going to get the boneheaded plays, but you're also going to get you know some clutch shots. We saw him do it with the Lakers against Miami. We saw him do it against Golden State. Like there's games where he took over in the in the fourth quarter and helped them out. And yeah, you want Paul George and Kawhi to play every game down the stretch, but we know that's probably not going to happen. And Russ can still be a guy to cobble together a team and elevate them above the sum of their parts for at least 25 minutes a game you know, um, in the right situation. I think he hasn't had a situation as Taylor made for him. You could arguably say Houston as he is going to have with the Clippers. It just hasn't happened. I think that he's a player that yes, it needs a situation to thrive in. And you would think surround Russ with a ton of shooters and a dominant role man would work. Right. And we just haven't seen it. We didn't see it in Oklahoma city. They never had the shooters. We saw it in Houston. But then they took away the role, man, right? <laughs> Went to Washington, didn't have the shooters, but they had the role, man. Went to LA, they basically took away both. You had AD, and guess what? Russ had great chemistry with AD. But you didn't have the shooters, and you didn't have a backup role, man. Then the year after, you have AD injured still, and, you know, regular role, man, and no shooters. So this is like the first time, in theory, that we're going to get the actual roster that Russ would more than likely benefit from, despite being the same player that he is. I just feel like some of the situations he's been in, his his um, weaknesses have been more pronounced while his strengths have been kind of hidden a little bit because they don't fit the roster. I'm not saying he's a star, but I definitely think he'd be a major impact piece if he buys in. And and that's always the big thing, right, Garrett? Yeah. I mean, to, to go back to your point about, um, you know, teams seeding to their stars, I, I just disagree that teams should do that. The Brooklyn Nets organization, I think is a perfect example of like, yeah, you probably shouldn't, um, just do whatever the stars want you to do, and cause, mm-hmm. because like it can crumble. And also, well, like, mm-hmm. you know, what the Lakers situation of you know, if Rob Palenka was convinced by what LeBron wanted instead of building and and actually learning from what won them the 2020 championship, they would be much better off if he ignored what the players wanted. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, you could even look at the Clippers before. I mean, mind you, I'm not saying that, and that's a that's a thing. Like. The signing of Eric Bledsoe, you know, John Wall, like all those guys, that didn't kill the Clippers individually. Injuries did, right? But those didn't help. It's just the Clippers 
were a better unit and those didn't submarine them that were not really critiquing Paul George and Kawhi because they also made these decisions too that didn't help them. They shrank the floor. They took away from their strengths and ultimately they're sitting on the bench while Kawhi and PG are running the offense like they do, right? So no, you, I agree completely. I'm not saying it's the right way of going about it. I'm just saying that's exactly what's happening here. And we've saw it before where players want a certain team to happen. It's going to be great. That's my boy. You know, we're going to make it happen. Even though all evidence to the country is like, yo, what are you looking at? But it is what it is. And the Clippers long ago ceded some of their organizational structure to Kawhi and PG in terms of equity and, and how the team is run, right? So I do feel it's too late to go away from that now. And maybe in the future, that's something to be said. Like, let's say the Clippers continue to falter, right? Then maybe we look back and we're like, okay, let's see about changing this because that doesn't make sense to let our stars run the show. But I, I, I'm with you, Garrett. I just feel like it's kind of the way of it now. I agree. It's not fair. I would have loved to see Russ go to a team that is not going to put more pressure on his head and on the Clippers. But ultimately, it's going to be on his head and on the Stars because everyone said it. I think the front office has done like one of the best jobs of saying, hey, we didn't want this. Our guys did. And because it's like low-risk, high-reward type thing or low-risk, moderate-reward, they were okay with going about it. But I'm with you. I, I, I wanted to say that first. I'm not saying the players should have the power. I'm very much actually not with that. I think that GMs are GMs for a reason. Players are players for a reason. And coaches do their job as well. And that that separation between the three is very important um, in putting together a cohesive unit, unless you're just an incompetent front office. But I just want to say in this case, I think the reason there is that this is what the players wanted. And the front office wasn't going to tell Kawhi and PG, no, they haven't started yet. Yeah. And you know, to get to your point about just the the fit here with with Westbrook, I, I agree. I think it's a good fit. Yeah, the Clippers do have some some good floor spaces around him. They now have two two role men now that they've traded for for Plumlee. Um, you know, they so so yes, just from a fit perspective, it makes sense. I would argue that yeah, the the fit in Houston was was great, even though as you said, they didn't have a role man there, but you know, spacing the floor as much as possible for, for Russ was, was a great idea, but Russ still didn't perform at the level you would want come postseason. To be fair, MCL sprain and COVID during the postseason. <laughs> then he was, I want to say, I, I I'm, I'm coming like a major, I'm coming like a major Russ Homer and, and, and yes, to a point I am, but the dude was averaging 27 points per game, especially in the second half of the season, got COVID and sprain that had the MCL sprain in the playoffs and then just wasn't the same. Mind you, it was horrible to look at because I'm like, dude, you're injured. Don't play. Like, you are sinking your your equity right now. And, you know, I'm a warrior. The yelling at the children, you know, after a big game and play. <laughs> like, some of it's Russ's own doing. But I think that, in theory, we saw that that concept could work. I think that I don't – I wasn't a big fan of trading Capella, and I got it. It was to make up for Russ's outside shooting weakness. But, like, he's always been a weak outside shooter. And I think that that role man in Capella was a really good fit for him and having the array of shooters. So I just want to point that out. In the postseason, it wasn't a success. And your turn, my turn gave it. But that Rockets team was, what, a 3-4 seed? I mean, Russ was playing well. James Harden was playing well. And then the playoffs happened. COVID happened. And that changed it. But to go back to what you're saying, I just want to defend that. Because I've seen people say, oh, well, Russ didn't play well in the playoffs. But, like, if you're injured and also coming off of a thing that's been horrific for many lives in general, much less professional athletes. Like I do want to cut the guys some slack in that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fair to, for that particular postseason. But then I would argue like, what about all the other postseasons since 2019 or 18? Like, exactly. No, I, I, I would been, agree. He hasn't been an effective postseason player. And I, I would just say again, all those teams weren't the Rockets. You didn't have the spacing. <laughs> but listen, after I will say this, Garrett, right now. I just want to take an aside. By the time this postseason's over, I think the Russ debate, at least over his latter years, will be finished between me and you. We're either going to see what I've been saying, or you're going to be right, and I'm going to have to gingerly admit that you were correct. It's going to be one or the other right now, because he is, I'm saying it, you're agreeing, everyone can see it. This is the roster Taylor made for us to get out of the first round for the first time since KD left back in 2016, to play with the space floor and array of shooters and crunch time guys who can lift him up, right? To play with a coach who will know how to utilize him, you know, effectively and a bench that's deep enough to fit around him, right? Like all the pieces are Taylor made for us, right? Outside of being injured, there really is an excuse for us this year to not, I mean, for the second half of the season. So if he doesn't perform well, and just craters, or if he's sitting on the bench for the night. Well, I don't want to say he's sitting on the bench. Maybe, maybe Tyler just have to put on the bench. But if he's not playing well in submarines, I will never have 
this debate with you about every year he's had from 2018 on. I will go, you know what, Garrett? Listen, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is the make or break because I get that. He's not been, and I think both things can be true. Let me just say this before I throw it back to you. He's not been an effective postseason player. Like, he just hasn't been. He, he jacks up a lot of shots. Um, the efficiency's not great. Uh, I think his last, like, really good postseason games were that 2018 playoffs against Utah Jazz. It was game one and game five. And that game five was the epitome of Russ, in my mind. He comes in. They're down by 25 at the half. That huge comeback. And that's Russ leading the charge, getting the team into the bonus, relentlessly jacking up threes, knocked down four of them. Like he was playing like Russ, like just doing what he does. And he galvanized this comeback. And then we saw that same mindset go into game six and he couldn't hit the fours from the trees. And Paul George was two of 14 and they got killed. So like, I just think that he's had some moments, but also for one reason or another, it hasn't worked out. I'm not going to put that Washington Wizards postseason run on Russ's head. I'm really not. That team shouldn't have been in the playoffs to begin with. Like, I'm not putting that on Russ. Like, look at that team. Just take a minute and basketball reference that 2021 Washington Wizards squad and then come back to me. That team was trash, okay? I am just, just want to say that. The Rockets team, I'll give you that. And then everything in OKC, that's on Russ. He's their guy, and he didn't succeed. But I just feel like there's more nuance to Russ that doesn't get discussed. Like, I, I always come off like I'm the guy making excuses for him. But I feel like it's so easy to just bag on the guy and not just see. See, I'm making a Russell Westbrook podcast, Gary. Take it from me, please. <laughs> well, and you you heard it here first, everybody, that uh, Corbin said, Russ <laughs> fails this postseason. He will finally stop defending him. Um, <laughs> you would call it out again, you dirty dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, in his prime, Russell Westbrook was tremendous, right? Like the guy in 2015 through 17 kind of time period in my mind was, was an unbelievable player, a top 10 player in the NBA. And he was in a perfect situation in Oklahoma City too, where they were a dominant defensive team where they could just get out and run and he would just destroy you in transition and lift up your offense enough that a, an elite defense would be good enough to win a championship or be championship caliber. Um, but, you know, given what Russell Westbrook, you know, he was so reliant on ath- athleticism and now he doesn't finish as well as, as he used to. I think that's a big part. He doesn't shoot as well as he used to, which you would, you would think would be the opposite as the guy gets older, but he's gotten worse uh, from, from that perspective as he's aged. And so those two things in particular, especially in a playoff context has made him even worse as an off ball player. So it's made him even more reliant on just having the ball in his hands all the time. And then also, you know, his inability to finish as well has basically done the opposite of what he did for teams in the past where he would get them out into transition. Now when Russell Westbrook plays in the postseason, he's helping the other team get out into transition and be really successful. And then the final thing, you know, this is something he's struggled with his whole career, but you, you know, teams have to be and players have to be locked in defensively every single second of every possession uh, in the postseason because one little mistake here or there can make the difference. And Westbrook has continuously been a guy that just kind of falls asleep at times. And in a, in a regular season context, you know, maybe that doesn't matter as much, but in these postseason games uh, where both teams are locked in, both teams are, you know, scouting the other team's tendencies and sets like those times where you just fall asleep and lose a guy and, and allow a corner three, uh, those are those are just killers. Listen, I'm, you know what? Again, Garrett, we, this is our old chess match here, okay? Like, I can't refute any of what you said. Now, it hasn't changed my mind in IOTA, no. But I can't refute any of what you said. Everything is valid. It's true. And and I just think in this situation, that's what I'm saying. This will be the – this is the end game. This is the, the final piece in our two-year chess match back and forth on the merit of Russell Westbrook as a productive player, you know, in the year of our Lord 2023, right? Like, like this will be like, we'll be in summer league. I will be, you know, salt, just very salty eating my chocolate covered pretzels. I cannot wait. Um, while you gloat about victory or 
you know, I'll be making funny. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, guess what? Russ played well. And how'd your fantasy team do? As I'm at the very bottom. But that's not the point. No, I'm fine. But like, we'll see how it happens. But I agree. I just think that at the end of the day, this is a situation for Russ that he just hasn't been in. You know, and to be fair, you know, when LeBron James wants you to come on his Lakers team, what's Russ going to say? No, nah, I don't think we'd be a good fit. You know, like that's not what he's going to say, right? Like everyone else saw it, but LeBron and AD, right? I mean, even I saw it and I didn't want to see it. I talked myself into why it could work, but I didn't think it was going to work and it didn't, right? But that didn't work. And we've seen how Russ has played alongside James Harden and the back and forth they've had there and Bradley Beal and the back and forth they've had there. And the athleticism has declined. He's not the player that he is, although he hasn't adapted like a Jason Kidd, you know, in terms of bringing an outside shot or, or like a Chris Paul or, you know, he hasn't gone the way of the traditional point guards who are table setters and then become that like game manager. You know, you, you start with John Stockton, you bring up um, Jason Kidd, you bring up Chris Paul, like those guys just shoot threes and just set up their teammates, right? Russ has always been the athletic hyper guard, the, the, you know, the Derrick Rose mold, the Allen Iverson mode, uh, mode, the, um, I'm trying to think of any other hyper uh, athletic electric point guard. You can go Steve Francis, like you can go to all these other guards over the years. And what's one thing they all have in common. They pretty much all flame out, right? Like there's not like a jet gradual decrease into like, I mean, the only guy I can think of would be like a Devin Harris. And he was never the star that those other guys I mentioned was in terms of this hyper quick, you know, penetrating point guard who gradually becomes, you know, more of a table setter. I mean, even Tony Parker didn't do it. Tony Parker was great in the San Antonio system, thought he could do more, left them, went to Charlotte, and we don't even bring that up anymore. Like, I'm just saying, like, that's how different and how hard it is to be a certain archetype of guard and not change that. And what do all those guards have in common too? They weren't consistent outside shooters in their prime, and that didn't change as they got older. So Russ is already kind of pushing the limits of that type of player as is. Because at 35, I think every other guard I mentioned was out of the league, right? Derrick Rose is still in, but just barely, right? And he's younger than um, Russell Westbrook. So again, it's it's a lot of just the type of player that he is, his inability or insistence not to change, and the fact that he's been on teams that, guess what, they couldn't afford him not to be, they wanted him to be who he was, but they wish he could be something different, and they weren't built enough to sustain the fact that he would only be who he's been. And I think the Clippers are the team that can do all of that, and so therefore, barring injury, if it doesn't work out, I I've run out of excuses for us. Okay, that's a lie. I'll come up with more. But I've run out of, like, actual excuses for us to use. And so that's why I think this will be interesting, Garrett. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I feel like we've uh, we've probably uh, talked the, the Russell Westbrook bit to death at this point, not only on this podcast, but just in general. Um, <laughs> it's one of our great conversation points. You want to talk for an hour at any point, Garrett, just say Russell Westbrook and let me roll. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I just had a couple more notes on the Clippers before we can get out of here. Um, the One of the things that I think is interesting about the Plumlee acquisition was that it kind of, in certain respects, you know, again, you, you brought up the same thing with, with Ty Lue and Westbrook, where, you know, he doesn't, ne- Ty Lue doesn't necessarily have to go this way. But it did sort of double down on the idea that we're going to play a big at all times as opposed to going small. And, uh, you know, we've seen in the past, like their, their series win over, over the Utah jazz, where going small was a key part of their success. But we've also seen guys like, uh, you know, Robert Covington in particular kind of fall out of the rotation for, for Ty Lue this season. And, you know, he was one of those guys that I thought was pretty key to them being able to maintain small ball lineups. If they wanted to go small for an entire game, they, they kind of had the depth and ability to do that. But now if Covington isn't a playoff rotation caliber guy, um, you know, they, they are very limited and very reliant on guys like Batum and Morris to make that happen. Yeah, they most definitely are. And I think that's, I mean, I think those are great piece. Um, man, I'm forgetting who um, wrote it. I'm going to find, it was a great piece I read recently um, about wings and just about um, the, it's not about having wings, but having wings that complement each other, you know, guys who can, you know, are defensively versatile guys who can create their own shot guys who are more playmaking, you know, and the capabilities they provide and how the Clippers have more of like a one trick kind of pony type of wing, right? A lot of offense first guys, a lot of just stationary catch and shoot guys who are possibly good on defense. And so you do have some issues there potentially. I think that it just comes down to health 
and Ty Lue being able to deploy them correctly. Because at the end of the day, if you have Paul George and Kawhi playing well, the Clippers have slaughtered teams. You know, like you put fits around those two and it'll be fine. Now, when you don't have those two, now you're looking at, you know, Norman Powell. Can you take on some more on-ball usage and be that guy for a game? Hey, you know, you've been out the rotation, but Robert Covington, come in real quick. We need a defensive stopping. We need that corner three-ball shooting. Like, the the chess match becomes a lot more difficult without your two main pieces, you know? But that's just been the Clippers all season. When they had Paul George and Kawhi, it's really not that big of an issue. When those two aren't available, then it is. But I think it would be anyway. If that if those two weren't in the game, I think they're the Los Angeles Lakers. You know what I mean? Like in terms of like having some quality players, um, they're better probably. But having some quality players but just ill-fitted, no, actually they wouldn't be. They're 500 with, yeah. Anyway, point being, they just would be a middling team. And so... I agree with you. I think it's a concern, but I think that it's mitigated with the addition of Paul George and Kawhi. And if they are healthy and able to play, you know, consistent minutes moving forward, I think Ty Lue finds the right buttons to push to fit around this roster. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I mentioned that they're 22nd in offense at the, at the jump and, you know, with, with Kawhi and Paul George, they're, uh, they're actually pretty darn elite offensively. They have a 123.7 offensive rating when those two share the mm. floor. And uh, they also are are plus eleven point three per hundred possessions with those two out there. So you know this team, when healthy, it seems to be pretty elite. Now I was listening to uh, Kirk Goldsberry on a recent Low Post podcast, and he mentioned that uh, you know he even favored favored uh, the Clippers over the Nuggets because of their net rating when those two are on the floor. I, I just need to mention that uh, Nikola Jokic with literally anyone uh, has a net rating of plus 14.8. So um, wow. I don't think the argument that like just the net rating for Ka- Kawhi and PG makes them like the favorites if they're healthy, but they're, no, certainly, no. they're certainly right up there with the elite teams in the NBA. And um, it's going to be fascinating, you know, what players can sort of come through, whether that's a Russell Westbrook or, you know, Eric Gordon, even though he's getting up there in age, mm-hmm. or if, you know, if uh, they can just maintain the, the big lineups with Zubach and Plumley, and that works for them. Ty Lue's going to have, you know, that's one of the challenges. I, you know, I, I feel like every coach wants the flexibility, but that also comes with it, the challenge of, putting those pieces together and, and doing it correctly. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see and not only the health, the health aspect with the Clippers, but then also, you know, what lineups work and uh, you know, the, the West is kind of seemingly for the taking this year. Yeah. Again, this is an opportunity the Clippers have hoped for, you know, and, and health has been an issue for them and we'll see if health is another issue for them this upcoming year. But when it comes to, you know, wanting to have a wide open team knowing that you have the talent to make that deep run knowing that things are still up in the air in terms of the west and the fact that you have a very good starting lineup a very deep bench a coach in Tyloo who knows how to at least you know when healthy deploy certain lineups to your advantage and the fact that there's not one team you're looking at that you go oh yeah we don't have at least a puncher's chance against like the lakers i said the same argument but like that's not exactly true. Like the Lakers with AD and LeBron, like, yes, when healthy, they can give any team a problem, right? But you could see a team beat them. I already mentioned the Phoenix Suns and the Clippers is too. That like even when healthy, the other team might be just too good. The other team has requisite talent among their two stars as well and a deeper roster. That's for the Lakers. When it comes to the Clippers, I can look at any team the Clippers face and I can say the Clippers have a chance of coming out. You know, if anything, you start maybe second guessing yourself if it's like the Celtics or or the Bucks. And even then you can make a very good argument. So no, I think the ball's in their court is just about health, how well they gel, these new additions, and of course Russell Westbrook. And you know, they have the second toughest schedule for the rest of the league. Like how will they respond over these last 23 plus games? Yeah, and just maintaining like if they can just maintain the uh the 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 fourth seed just to get home court advantage in the first round, I think would be would be pretty helpful. Uh, are there any, uh, so, you know, you, you kind of got into this, but uh, is there a particular team that uh, you, you would or wouldn't want to face as the Clippers come postseason? Oh, no, I think, I think they'd be fine with all of them. I don't see an issue. I mean, the. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to face Jokic if I were them. We, we saw it in the bubble. Now, you know, um, you can say the bubble was the bubble, but uh, at the same time, uh, they, I mean, I, uh-huh. they seem to struggle against him in particular. 
Yes, I, I think that having better bigs, um, you for one, I mean, Zubac is still there, but now instead of you know the defensive lead challenge, but yet playing all the minutes, Montrezl Harrell, you have you know a guy in Mason Plumlee could hold up at least decently enough. I mean, he was his backup, like he can he defense and passing are his attributes. You know, I think you can conceivably do to the Nuggets what the Blazers did a couple of years ago, which is yes, Jokic is going to eat. But we have better talent across all of our other positions, and we will win. And before, remember, their last matchup, aside from Zubac, who wasn't the best Jokic stopper, you had literally no resistance. You know what I mean? It was Michael Green and Montrezl Harrell. I think just off the top, they're better now defensively at that five spot than they were before. So I think that's one thing that you would say. Now, yes, Denver is deeper than they were, but so are the Clippers. So I think it's interesting. I wouldn't want to face the Nuggets per se, but I wouldn't be as scared as I was before. I mean, come on now. Montrezl Harrell played way too many minutes that series against Jokic. Like, it wasn't even funny. Like, we saw that, right? And we know one thing Tyrone knew that Doc Rivers did, which is adjust. Um, but aside from that, no, I, I, I don't see a team that maybe Phoenix. I mean, even Phoenix. I think the Clippers have good. They're going to be fine. But I think that you're definitely going to use a lot more of the defensive abilities of your top three guys because you can't stick everyone. Like Chris Paul may not go off consistently for twenty plus, but he could still be a threat. You already know what uh, what um, Devin Book's going to bring you if he's healthy. You already know what Kevin Durant's going to bring you if he's healthy. So they could be an interesting team. That could be an interesting cross match. But aside from that. I don't see a team that I'm really stressed out about with the depth that the Clippers have. It, it really, the ball's more in their court, in my opinion, because the Grizzlies, I think will be fun, but I don't think the Grizzlies just have not only the depth, but the outside shooting necessary. I think they could get swallowed up pretty easily. John Morant could go off, but that could be, it. I think that the Clippers have a team where if you're another team playing them, like, yeah, you know, until they decide to put Kawhi on you, your main guy, you know, or Jokic, who's on his own. Cause Kawhi can't really stick him. They can get their They can get their numbers. Absolutely. But I still think the Clippers could go out on top. Yeah, the the other reason I would be a little fearful of a Nuggets matchup is just because I think the the Nuggets defensively are susceptible to those off the dribble guards like a Steph or a Damian Lillard and or those real quick those quick explosive guards like a John Morant that can can attack downhill against Jokic whereas the Clippers aren't as well suited to uh to do that but um the the matchup versus Phoenix I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that would just be so fun. I mean, think about like the, and the Clippers, I think defensively would match up about as well with the Suns as anybody. You know, you could throw uh, a Terrence Mann on Devin Booker or Chris Paul, whoever's going off. You know, you've got PG to throw on the other guy and then you've got Kawhi to put on Durant. Um, they, they match up reasonably well defensively with that team. So that would be a fascinating matchup. The, the West playoffs are just going to be so much fun. I, I can't wait. Me neither. I'm going to be sad. We got some watch parties. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be great. All right, Corbin. Well, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on and doing this. Is there anything you want to, uh, you want to mention? Shout out to the people listening. Uh, you know, always, man, I love being on here with you, having fun. It's, it's always a blast. Um, I would honestly just say, you know, check out me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Um, good stuff there. Uh, some surprise in the rooks. Uh, hopefully some more pot three man podcast with yourself, myself, of course, and the great Josh Earl. Yes. Um, I will have something. I just started working recently with switch theory. I'm still trying to finish a piece with them uh, or a piece for them. So hopefully that'll be out. Actually, I don't know why I plugged that. I don't know if it will be, but that's in the works. Um, but yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Um, a lot of good stuff there and hopefully some more to come. All right, Corbin. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for coming on and until next time.